Greetings, Trinitarians. This podcast is possible partly because of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary in Evansville, Indiana. If you're interested in beginning your theological academic journey at Trinity, contact us at trinitysem, that's trinitysem.edu today. Despite Braxton Hunter's attempts to train record at the end, I think this was a good show, and thank you for giving us your time. God bless. The last five minutes of that were the best part. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings, and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I am Jonathan Pridgett, and along with me is... Braxton Hunter. And today we are going to talk about what makes a sermon, or a lesson, or a Bible study, what makes it deep? Stick around. So it's not heresy. It's come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now this it. I I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but and there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. Welcome back. The answer to the question of what makes preaching deep is plenty of ice-cold coffee. Ice-cold coffee is gross. In a Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary embossed glass. That's what does it. No. What's wrong with Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary? Nothing. It's the iced coffee you desecrate the cup with. It's gross. Coffee, I'm not a coffee drinker, but... Yeah, so your opinions on this are completely useless. <laughs> Everyone who the reason watches why I'm this not show a coffee, is a coffee drink, drinker. The reason why I'm not a coffee drinker is because coffee's gross. No, Everyone I'm knows to, you drink this green, neon, garbage it's, it's water. It's fantastic, and it's not coffee. Let me tell you something about... And Not only does everyone who watches this show probably drink coffee, but they probably pay a lot of money for the coffee they drink, which is a complete waste of money. My green soda that's nasty garbage water... 67 cents for a two liter. I want them to continue paying lots of money for coffee because when we say, if you're the kind of person who would take us out for a cup of coffee if you knew us, uh, then maybe give a little money to the Patreon because then if they pay more for coffee, they'll give more to the Patreon account. All right, let's get, let's get started. What makes a sermon deep? I don't know what that means. Well, Define look, your terms. All right, it, 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 every day on social media, I see... At least four or five... When you have a lot of friends on social media, you get a lot of stuff in your feed. And I see at least four or five posts a day about what's wrong with preaching in America today. Preaching in America is shallow. Preaching in America is milk toast, etc., etc. What's wrong with our pulpits in in America? Now, America's a big country, and there's (laughs) hundreds of thousands of churches in America. Literally. And I don't know who has actually been to all of them to know that these... Sermons are all bad and shallow and milk toast, but it, it seems to me that you get an impression if you watch, like, say, uh, the the, the low hanging fruit people will pick Joel Osteen for example and say that's shallow preaching, as if the typical Southern Baptist preacher is preaching like Joel Osteen. Which uh, you visited a lot of Southern Baptist churches. Do you find that's actually? I don't. When I visit the Southern Baptist churches, I'm the one preaching. So right, but I, you know the pastors. So if I go by that, they're all preaching fantastic sermons. <laughs> but, um, but but you but you know these pastors. Well, I'll I'll ones. tweak what you've said a little bit. I had to I had to do an assignment for a preaching course where I took preachers from various categories. So like one category was like uh, Al Mohler and uh, D. James Kennedy and, and these kind of people that a lot of people would think of as the deep preachers, you know. Right. And then the second, and I had to pick one of those, and I don't remember who I picked. And then the second category was some of these more Andy Stanley type people. So you had, uh, you know, like um, uh, uh, Greg, um, 
Oh, what's the guy's name that does all the big Greg Laurie? Yeah. Uh, then you had um, the then you had guy. Andy Andy Stanley, and you had people like that. And, and and then in the third category, oh, and I think they threw in there something that didn't seem to fit to me, which is uh, who's the guy at the Vineyard Church that everybody talks about, the Calvinist guy who um, he's he's all time preaching, he's everywhere. I don't know. Anyway, he he was in there. But then the third category was like these kind of word of faith type preachers or preachers that were. More charismatic, or not, and those are not the same thing. But I'm right. just, I'm just saying that they, whoever put this together, which was probably a Southern Baptist, <laughs> threw them all in the same right. basket. And one of those was, uh, was, um, um, you have to do Joyce Meyer. Joyce you? Meyer, yeah. and I did Joyce Meyer. I picked Joyce Meyer because I wanted to find out. Because you never just sat around and listened to see what. And I in no way endorse endorse Joyce Meyer. However, what I will say is. The particular message that that was on offer for me to assess was very much standard fare, I think, at most churches, uh, most evangelical churches, even cessationist-type churches. So um, I don't want to say Southern Baptist because we always say Southern Baptist. You talk about Southern Baptist more than you talk about anything else. And so it's just evangelical, even cessationist. Well, that's my experience for 25 years of my life. I mean, that's fine, but whatever. That was that, Her message would have been very much at home there. Like so, she didn't say anything that you wouldn't hear. She said things I disagreed with, right. but there are things I disagree with in a manner that it's kind of like, eh. You know, like I, but I you could do that with that, any preacher. But I could say that with these same kind of people, right. Yeah. So why are we talking about this? I'm not sure, but that was my experience. Yeah, I I, I don't know that I've I don't listen to the, the preachers I listen to are my friends, and I don't really listen to much else. Well, let's go ahead and clear um, the deck. Let me help out here. So um, obviously there is boring preaching yes. that is a separate category. There is boring preaching that is the is probably theologically rigorous. Okay, let's put that into one category. And I know what you want to say is a lot of the people that are thought to be theologically rigorous aren't theologically rigorous. That was the point of what we were just saying. But there, there yeah. is that category, the boring and theologically rigorous. There is also the category that is like Andy Stanley is a great example yeah. that is not boring and perceived to questionably... Be. Perceived to be theologically, theologically rigorous. Theologically, yeah. we're not talking about biblically. We'll get to that, but theologically is is and apologetically is is you know some good stuff. There, or some people right? would say some people have the impression that it's not. Some people have the impression that it's theologically inept. Okay, well, whatever. But yeah. the point is, I'm just laying the field here. Like when they say so you've got so, that something about him. well, let's not hone yeah. in on him yet. Okay, and then you've got this other category that we all agree is so shallow, so weak, it may not be boring. You notice I'm weaving the enjoyment factor here because I agree with Dr. Elliot, despite what any spiritually sounding person on the internet wants to say, if a sermon is not enjoyed, it will not be listened to. Right. And so there is a category of person over here that gives you really enjoyable but completely shallow preaching Mm -hmm. that is not at all uh, helpful except as entertainment. Right. That is the field. Those are broad categories. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, what, so I've set them up so you knock them down. What do you okay, say Okay, well, here's this? the thing. Yeah, I agree with you that, that that enjoyable is important, but it's better when it's coupled with... I have to turn off my phone. Oh, well, it wouldn't be Trinity Radio if your phone didn't go off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a sermon needs to be enjoyable because it doesn't matter how rigorous it is. If it's boring, nobody cares. Right. And I, and I also want to make the distinction that theologically rigorous doesn't mean interesting either. It can still be boring. There are lecturers who are dry as dust, and there are lecturers um, who are not, and you learn a lot more from the ones who are not. The more colorful the lecturer right. is, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to retain. Fact of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I want to make sure that we're clear. Go, I, go I, to, go to. I'll go ahead and. You can be as deep here. as you think you are, um, but if you're boring, it doesn't matter. Go to biblicaltraining.org. I'll buzz market for them because it's a great Calvinist site, mostly Calvinist site, and they have free audio lectures. You just have to create like an, uh, a user account or whatever. It's free, but anyway, get in there and listen to Ronald Nash, and then listen to anyone on that site that is not Ronald Nash, and you will see how. Theologically rigorous plus enjoyable to listen to, which is what you get with Ronald Nash, 
increases your learning abilities seemingly infinitely. Sure. But people seem to think that if they talk about theology in a sermon, take um, uh, these preachers who always talk about... I know that it's been a while since I've listened to preachers, so I'm going to go into the Wayback Machine, I guess. But like Mark Driscoll used to always mention theological issues in his sermon. Mm -hmm. And I think... John Piper would do that kind of thing. And, and some people think that, oh, they do it, they're popular, we should do it. And people think that if they talk about their theological systems or whatever, that they're being deep. Mm -hmm. But I have found, when I listen to that kind of stuff, it's actually so superficially shallow, especially if it's polemical, that you don't learn anything that you couldn't learn off of a Facebook fight on the internet. Right. Yeah. So, so is that really a deep sermon? Okay, so let's, me and you right here, yeah. construct what we think a deep sermon should be uh, that would be good, helpful, okay, that would be good. All right, I, I'm going to start off by giving a possible definition, and then what you and I are going to do is whittle away at it. Okay. All right? Okay, here, here's what I think it should be. So my dad used to tell me when I was preaching that especially on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but it should be all the time. If people are going to actually do the effort to come to church, then then you... Hold on, my computer. If, if people are going to put out the effort to actually come to your church, then you should probably give them something worth them having come there. And and so my so here's my going to be my definition. Well, wouldn't the holy I, person say, "Yeah, but God yeah, is worth." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So so the but we don't. That's yeah. But yeah. I could go to any church in town and, and get say, that. Yeah. Why do I need to go to your church? Right. Okay. So so here's the thing. So I'm going to say a deep sermon in the positive sense that the kind of deep that you should be hunting for would be a sermon that uh, presents. Uh, information, theological or biblical information, that most of the crowd or a substantial portion of the crowd is not familiar with or didn't know that is also helpful to their living the Christian life. That, that's our starting force. Let me try to rephrase. Is deep preaching of the kind we want is preaching that involves presenting biblical or theological concepts that a substantial portion of the congregation is probably not familiar with and that will help them in their Christian life. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I like that definition because <laughs> it's, it's standard homiletics, but it's, it's easier said than done because what, what would that look like in a sermon? So I hear people, they will talk about, oh, if they, every, every expository preacher type loves to get to either Galatians or Romans, right? And of course, they're going to put more into uh, Romans 1, 18 through... Because Galatians uh, was the rough draft for Romans, right? right? <laughs> yeah, so 18 through verse, uh, chapter 1, 18 through the end of the chapter, mm -hmm. they're going to go wonky and, 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 and... Yeah, cut out all the interesting narrative stuff like Paul's testimony. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna wobble a bit through chapter two. Chapter two is let's just get through it because people mistakenly think that chapter two is just chapter just in the middle of chapter one and uh, three verse twenty as one major section about one thing, which is already false. Um, but they're, then they're gonna get to they're gonna muddle through uh, chapter three one through nine, and then they're gonna kick in the high gear, uh, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. They're going to be fine through chapter 4. They're going to be fine through chapter 5. They're going to go, be fine through chapter 6. They're going to totally get wrong chapter 7. Uh, they're, then they're going to be fine through chapter 8. And then if then they're going to confuse everybody with nine, chapter 9, whether even if you're Reformed or not Reformed, when you get there, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be Gotta shilling for, out for a little bit. Yeah, and you're going to be shilling for your team. And that might last through 10 and 11. And then all of a sudden, when they get to chapter 12 through 16, they're bored with Romans because they, didn't, they don't put the same emphasis into chapters 12 through 16 that they do in the big parts that have the big doctrines in it, that, or, or at least what they think they have the big doctrines, and then even worse, think that they're right about those doctrines. But that's another show. Um, so we see that, and, and people think, oh, oh, good, we're talking about Romans. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about 
the big things like foreknowledge and predestination and election and justification by faith alone. And we're going to talk about all of these things. And we're going to talk about um, how you can't save yourself and, you know, things that weren't really what Jews were trying to do anyway. But they're going to, you know, and they're going to be, this is the deep stuff. What you're trying to say is they're boxing an imaginary uh, opponent yeah. Um, well, that's what Paul's doing. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking of a way to work that in. But they're back. They're boxing an imaginary interlocutor that's in their pulpit with them. Right. Who works at Southern Seminary or something. Yeah. Or Asbury, depending on your flavor. And the crowd is sitting out there going, "I don't know who he's fighting with or how this is relevant to my life." Right. <laughs> and they think that they've been deep because they they mentioned they wish they were seminary professors. Right. But since they're pastors, they're going to act like seminary professors. When what you need to be doing is feeding the sheep. Yeah, but 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 worse is they think they've been deep because they talked about it, yeah. as if talking about that makes it a deep sermon. Yeah. No, people talk about it on Facebook and argue with one another on Facebook about it, and that's not deep either, right? That's that's not. But that is one. I will say the soteriological. And I'm issue. not picking on Calvin. I'm talking about but, Arminians no, so- too. Okay, you know, someone who rehashes Brian Abashiano's three volumes on Romans 9 to disprove Calvinism from the pulpit. Most when of he the gets people there, that are listening to you yeah. don't know what you're talking about, even on our show. No, they well, know who, no, our, they our listeners no, they know who Brian No, Abashiano our listeners is. are now no longer the 10 obsessed with soteriology people yeah. that we once had. Now we've got people like, like my very biblically knowledgeable friend who fixes stuff at my house. Yeah. And he's interested in soteriology, but when you say Brian Abbasiano, he thinks you just spoke in tongues. No, if so, you listen yeah. to if you listen to Leighton Flowers, you know because Leighton Flowers quotes him all the time. Not everybody listens to Leighton Flowers. What I was going to say is going to be helpful to what yeah. you're saying, but also broaden it, okay. which is the soteriology issue. I I don't want people to get from what you're saying that the soteriological issue is not one of those things that can deepen a sermon in a helpful way, but you just can't. Let that be all you do. Right. And even in Romans, let that be all or you worse, do. Or worse, think that you're being deep because you talked about a theological issue. I you got to talk about what... it in a helpful way. Yeah. We're human beings. Deep is not just head knowledge. Deep has got to slam you right in the heart, too. And I think that if you don't have a sermon that hits you in the heart as well as the head, you yeah. know, I don't think it's a deep sermon. I, I, I think it might be an interesting lecture when that's not the job of the pulpiteer, but... It's not necessarily a deep sermon. You just talked about what people talk about on Facebook. Good. Now, what you just said, though, um, it's not necessarily... So a, So people don't do Wednesday night sermons anymore. I mean, it's like dying, and Sunday <laughs> yeah. night's dying. Uh, but, you know, there, there are places in church life where a preacher could preach a more... The, a more theologically focused, a sermon that is less about personal application and more about understanding theology. Because one thing we certainly agree is that church people should learn some of that stuff. Um, I think they should learn a lot, um, as much of it as as they can. Well, let me give you a compliment for a second. Uh, Not necessarily theology, but apologetics. You preached a sermon, not a lecture, preached a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in an apologetic way where you gave defenses for it. And yet, when I left that sermon, it wasn't just, oh, he said some things that I teach in my course. No, it was, I'm ready to talk about this to everybody and let them know what my well, Savior has done, what God has done in Christ, raising him from the dead, so that I can be forgiven and live forever. Yeah. You don't get that from a lecture on the resurrection. You don't get that even from a debate on the resurrection. But you, you certainly can, don't get it from a debate. Yeah, but you can get it from a sermon on the resurrection where you're giving heady apologetic information to show people why we believe what we believe and yet still have that sense of wonder that there was a God who became a man and died on a cross to forgive me for our sins yeah. and was raised from the dead and wow... That changed those people's lives. I see the change in my life, and I want to go share this with the world. That yeah. you don't get that even from a lecture on. I'll tell you. I'll tell you so, what. what I, so I, sermons can, first can of all, still penetrate. I appreciate yeah. that, yeah. and I think I think this is one thing that I you know there's this whole debate among people that aren't outwitting people for Jesus, but want to have this kind of debate <laughs> <laughs> about whether or not a sermon should be art or science. Yeah. Okay. I'm just kidding. That's a relevant debate. 
But I think the answer is both. Right. And there is, but but here's the thing. But when isn't you that present, what everyone says now is both? Well, they sh- they've been listening to me then. But when you <laughs> but when you present it to the crowd, there this is there's art. This yeah. this sermon should be arranged artfully. Your preaching of it should have a certain form of artistry that goes along with it. And and so um, it, so think about a piece of art. You're right. It should move you. It should challenge you. It should do all those kind of things that actual art does not do to me. But um, if 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 we were to go to uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art or whatever in New York, and we were to go look at some art that was really great, you probably don't want to go to that museum if you want to see great art. But anyway, you go to that museum. You you you're going in here looking at this art, and you go into a room, and there's this whole Rembrandt that like stretches the entire wall. And you're looking at this thing, and at first it looks like a bunch of flowers or whatever. But then after a few minutes, you're like in it. And you're in that painting. And you're feeling emotions that he tricked you through time and space (laughs) with his use of color into experiencing. It wasn't really tricking. He just evoked them. Okay, that's art. Now imagine us going into another room of that museum, and on the wall someone has just put a piece of paper uh, on a canvas that has a bunch of text. Now, frankly, because it's the the MoMA or whatever, the Museum of Modern Art, they probably would think that was amazing, you know, because I think I did see a canvas that just had like coffee spilled down one side and they were like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it's not, it's a, I could have done that. My (laughs) Isabel, my daughter could have done that. So, but. And may in fact has. But in (laughs) reality, yeah, yeah, she probably has. But anyway, in reality, is a big thing of text printed off from your computer and pasted onto a canvas, is that really art? Well, depending on how loose you want to get with art being subjective. But the fact about it is, no. I want the thing that puts me in a world. I want the thing that brings stuff out of me that I didn't know was there and then confronts me with it. And a bunch of text written on a wall, I mean, why am I, you know. So I think a sermon should do that, especially given the fact that whether we like it or not, a certain number of people, I mean, we would all love it if what sermons were some of the time, like every other Sunday, yeah. was lecture Sunday, and somebody just got up and lectured if they were good. Right. You know, if I could hear N.T. Wright or somebody just get up every every other Sunday, and then the every other Sunday is my pastor, yeah. okay, now that's great. You know? Right, yeah. Unfortunately, I can have that because of the internet. But the point of it is, um, um, the people out there are not like us, and they don't necessarily care to hear N.T. Wright Actually, he's pretty artful, but, but they don't—they don't care to hear some lecture every other Sunday. Right. And so, if you want to get them to care about this, you've got to. There's got to be art involved in it. There's got to be pathos. There's got to be that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And so, if you're just all you are is you've gone through and gotten your PhD, and now you're going to go off and pastor and be the greatest pastor that ever was, and the and the way you know you're succeeding is how much you're boring the people out there. Yeah, good luck, sucker. That's yeah. not how it and, works. And by the way, that's not even deep. Right. Because people think people people think deep means... Okay, so in my misspent youth, um, you know, hanging around with people, you know, sometimes it's just stoner deep. You know how people get, whoa, that's deep, man. You know, it's actually not very deep at all. They just said something kind of stupid. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of m- want to make a similar analogy that people think that because they're talking about all of these highfalutin metaphysics about, you know, theology or, or, or you know, some systematic theology topic, or, or they're talking, you know, deep background about something that, that's actually deep, like that's meaningfully deep. But when I think of deep, I think of something penetrating down deep into somebody, right. not deep into your footnotes. I'll give you an example. Right, but people mistake that if their sermon has footnotes, that, you know, yeah. deep into the footnotes, that's how deep I got because I, I went to these sources that I have in my right. logos software. That's not deep. Right. That's not what. That's not for preaching. A right. deep sermon for preaching needs to hit you deep, me deep. That's what I think of deep. And be understood and, yeah. be, and be useful, I think. Yeah, well, I think because they're not actually as deep as they think, I think what they are is understandable they just might be boring <laughs> yeah it's very uh, so so there was a church here in evansville before you get to your example let me okay. give you an example there's a church not not in evansville in newburgh okay it was a southern baptist church plant and the guy was um uh, preaching through galatians okay and before that he had gotten to 
the set, he was an expository preacher because he was properly, you know, trained to, to, to be the good nine marks guy, mm-hmm. right? And his church is no longer existent in Evansville, by the way, or in Newport, by the way, it folded, um, which I hate to see, but, you know. Um, but he was so boring. It was 45 minutes long of a sermon where he wasn't even the, in the, he was in, still in the first chapter of Galatians, but he so wanted to talk about justified by faith and not works of the law in Galatians, he so wanted to get there that he was already talking about that. So I was like, well, you're not there yet. What are you going to preach on if this is your, I'm about to hear the same thing? Because he couldn't deal with the text because he didn't think that there was anything in all of this stuff about, um, Paul confronting Peter and the background to Antioch and what the Judaizers were up to and what their actual thing was and all of this other stuff, that just didn't... That's... Are you trying to say he started a series because there was a verse way down the line he wanted to get to? That he wanted to get to. And so now he's got to wade through all this stuff that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. To get to this thing that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because he wasn't as excited about that as he was getting to where... So he wants to color the whole text of Galatians with that... Uh, with that bit and drag it, you know, to previous verses that's trying, where Paul's setting all this stuff up, right? And so you're, and we did give him two weeks in a row and we heard the same sermon two weeks in a row and we learned nothing about the text that he was actually talking about because he was already digging from the well from the proof text that he wanted to get to in Galatians. But he thought he was being deep because he went verse by verse. And he thought he was being deep because he was talking about the doctrine of justification and how we all can't save ourselves, as if I run around in culture and nobody out that I meet is trying to save themselves, but for some reason preachers think this is a good line in our culture that you can't save yourself. Culture's saying we're not trying to. Keep your Christianity. So I, I don't know why that... But that's a whole... Again, that's another different thing. But the point is, just because you are going verse by verse and you are talking about the doctrine of justification as you understand it, doesn't mean you've said anything deep. You've talked for 45 minutes and bored everybody to tears. And by the way, sorry, your church isn't there anymore. And that, I think that happens more than sh- what people call shallow preaching. Because if, maybe it's the circles I run in, but if everybody is complaining about the shallow preaching, who's doing it? Which one? They never tell you, of course. It's pulpits in America. Which pulpits where? What's your example? I don't know. I'm, I'm completely lost. You, a while ago, you said something about how what they're actually doing is akin to what you termed stoner deep. Yeah. Which I'm imagining, because I've never once touched uh, marijuana, I'm imagining that you're talking about what I've seen in films where somebody gets high and then they start talking about something that sounds somewhat philosophical. Yeah. But really what they're saying is something not that complicated. Okay, here's an example of stoner deep. Okay? okay. Take your conversation with Matt on Marco Polo that you put on the internet and make it about uh, twice as long and twice as stupid. And that's stoner deep, okay? No. I. Uh, do you want to have that conversation right now? Because we'll find out how stoner deep it is. <laughs> I'm ready to have that conversation. Especially when... I said make it stupider. Not not that y'all's thing was stupid. I just say, you know, make it stupider and then you'll understand. Like, well, man, time is like, man, time is this, it's this dimension of space that just, man, it's like, you know, you can't transfer. It's just like, wow, we can't get to the present because it's all... I think we all know right? what you mean by yeah, stoner deep. And that's... Uh, well, actually, seen, that sounds quite a bit we, like your conversation. We've seen, that, we've seen, we've seen movies. I think yeah. we know what you mean by stoner deep. So what I'm, what I was going to say is, here's an example. Okay. So I was, ta- I'm working on a theistic argument, an argument for God's existence, um, which, by the way, is something that is deep and is useful. <laughs> yes. But, but anyway, I was working on that, and I was telling my wife in frustration. I said, you know, I'm experiencing this weird phenomenon. Where when you are when you are saying something in a way nobody's ever said it before exactly that way there's nothing new under the sun okay I got it but when you're saying something in a way no one's ever said it before or connecting concepts that haven't really been formally connected before at least in a useful way yeah I, so I, I said but you know when I do that when I'm doing this because it's fresh which is exciting you kind of get this feeling like you're just making stuff up even though you're not. And I said this to my wife, and she's like, 
Isn't that what you philosophy guys just always do? Is just make stuff, <laughs> just up? Make stuff up? And I was like, how dare you? And first of all, what a philosophical assertion. Are you just making stuff up? And then I went on to explain the I said, but listen to this. So I explained the theistic argument and I put and I put her through it and I checked every step of the way. Does this make sense to you? Does this make sense to you? Does this make sense? And when we got to the end, she was like, Oh wow. Yeah, you're not making stuff up. That's yeah, powerful. But in well, fairness to That's... Sarah, there is a little bit of truth to it. No, but hold on, hold on. She said she said that that is really powerful when she got to the end. And I think that's the difference is saying something in such a way that it sounds to you and the audience and everybody else like you're just making stuff up and then taking people on a journey with you in a sermon to where they see how you got from point A to point B kind of in a surprising way and, it's, and, and they lived it in a, to a certain degree. And that's what people, the culture sets people up to think preachers and apologists uh, they're just making stuff up. They don't have good reasons to believe any of this. And the stuff they're telling you isn't even good for your life. You know, Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin would say, you know, I don't, I don't believe Christianity, but it, it's helpful. It's good for society. It's all this moral stuff, you know? Right. Uh, we don't even have that anymore because our secular society now says, no, no, no. What you guys are saying is that we should worship a murderous, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, whatever, all the horrible things, genocidal, homophobic monster of the Old Testament. And, um, and the very idea that you're teaching that means that now you're voting in ways that limit... Uh, you know, equality and what women's right to choose, all, all these kind of things, right? right? So we don't even have that going for us. The culture is saying, you apologists don't have any good reason to believe what you're saying, and you pastors are preaching stuff that's bad and dangerous. We don't even have the benefit of the doubt when we get in the pulpit anymore. And because we don't even have the benefit of the doubt, you sure better not get up there and reinforce the idea that they come into the church with that what you're that what you're doing is just making a bunch of stuff up. You better come in there and walk them through ideas and walk them through the Bible and walk them through theology so that when they come out the other side, they have lived it and they are changed by it and it is affecting them, like you said, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in every way. Which means so you have to use illustrations, um, sometimes humor. Yeah. Um, now, I don't think... Just, Preachers don't have to be funny all the time. It's not stand up. It certainly theology. helps if you're funny. Yeah, it helps, but I mean, you don't have that. You don't have to always be funny. That's ridiculous. Well, there's a difference between telling a, a dumb joke, yeah, and and naturally being. Yeah, but kind you of funny. love dumb preacher jokes, and you say you get one one free one per. I sermon. usually yeah. try to use one dumb preacher joke per sermon, right? But you try to be funny throughout the sermon in subtle ways. That draw people in. So if someone, you know, here, here's an example. I was preaching on uh, commercialism or something to do with commercialism when I was in Texas uh, at a church on Sunday morning uh, just a couple, few weeks ago, and someone's phone at a very tense moment went off with, I can't remember what it was, but it was a jingle for some company. And it was in this big auditorium of like 500 people, and this jingle goes off that is a very recognizable I don't know what it was. Some company that when you hear it, you know. Very recognizable. I have no yeah. idea what well, it was. Well, I don't remember what it was, but it was very recognizable. And I was able to say, hey, thanks for that obvious illustration. That's the commercialism we're talking about. Infecting the church. You know, I said something like that. Yeah. That's not a joke, but it's funny. And everybody there, because they're all sitting out there and they're thinking, oh, shoot, somebody's phone just went off. Glad yeah. that's not me. Oh, well, my gosh. What's okay, this guy so going to do? And you took the steam out of yeah. it, you know? So you can be funny without telling jokes all the time. Right. And in fact, I think that's part of the problem is that preachers think they got to go to sermonillustrations.com and get jokes that are made for preachers to use that 15 other preachers have used before. And I guarantee you, if you go to any preaching conference in America today, you will hear jokes that you have heard at other preaching conferences because everybody uses the same jokes because they're all getting them from some website. Unlike Braxton Hunter, I don't want to put pressure on pastors out there to be funny. But I just said it helps. It, it does, does help to be funny. But I do want to put pressure on you to use illustrations because illustrations connect people from an ancient text to the modern world and help them get their head around things. And the more you know about the modern world, the easier it is to connect ancient concepts. And the more you know about the ancient concepts, you're going to get things right. So all around better. So use illustrations to connect it. Uh, that That's where 
pastors make it relevant for me. Because pastors are not going to tell me something in the Bible generally that I don't already know. And I'm yeah, not trying but to be most ag- of the people I'm not trying you. to be... Yeah, I know. I'm not trying to be... But here's what I do know. Just like everyone else listening to them, when he gets to the illustrations, that's where my ears and everyone else's ears perk up and listen, and that's where that's where the light bulb goes off, even for me, and even for other people about where do we take this. And I'm just right along with everybody, whether they're familiar with the text or not. It doesn't matter. I can look around and see it on their faces. I can hear it in the amens and the, and the louder cheers that they get after the illustrations. Where mm-hmm. it's like, ah, I get it. That, that makes sense. That means I need to go do this. It means I need to believe this way. It means I need to praise God in this manner instead of that. I need to evoke some kind of change. But... I, just getting communicating the contents alone is not what preaching was ever about. Preaching was about provoking a response, mm-hmm. and that to me, if you can get a response, mm-hmm. that's a deep sermon. Yeah, a sermon that evokes no response, but you are filled with more heady ideas that don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting in church. I I, I visited. Braxton's church, and the speaker gave this uh, presentation of the Passover, okay, and I knew, I assume you knew most of that. I Actually, there was that. a good deal I did not know. Oh, really? That. Yeah. Um, she went through the He whole... hasn't done his Exodus commentary yet, so. Well, they went <laughs> through the, 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 they had this table and, right. and went through everything that goes on in a Passover celebration, right, and pointed out the Jesus stuff in it. But the point about most churches have had But the point about this. with Jesus's Passover meal and everything else that stood out to me was bringing it home at well, I mean we we know the story and we know the passion story, right? But that's not just retelling a story, it's the remembrance and it was the the fact that the reason why it's centered around things that you can touch, taste, and smell, and, and all of those enlivens all your senses, that's what I think stuck out to me most is like, yes, because that gives you something to connect with. Yeah, it's experiential. Right, and that's the same thing with, with I think, what sermon illustrations help, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll always, sermon illustrations all point to something that you can connect with that gives you a fully, uh, a way that you can, even if you, even if you don't have all your sense perceptions firing at once, whatever you take with you will inevitably engage all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so are, are most of them. And so that's why I think, when I think of a deep sermon, what, what, what is really deep is something that I leave with that becomes a part of me. Yeah. Not, not, yeah. not a part of my mental contents, but a part of my daily life. And if a sermon doesn't do that, I don't care how much background on a text that you could give or that I could give on a New Testament passage. I don't care about how much uh, systematic theology you can tease out of the text um, in, in a sermon. If it doesn't go anywhere, it's not deep. Yeah. It's just heady. Yeah. And sometimes what deep can be is in the Second Peter sense. You know, Second Peter, we're learning, you know, if you affirm Peter's authorship, which I do, Peter's about to die. And so he's saying... I'm gonna. I, I'm. He basically is saying in chapter one, I think I'm not here. I'm not gonna tell you stuff you don't already know. Right. I'm bringing stuff to your remembrance. Yeah. Did it ever cross anyone's mind that you can do that in a deep way? And first of all, that is where you, even if you never learn anything that you never knew before in a sermon, you you can still make connections and have things called to your remembrance in a helpful way for your Christian life whether the person up there is a bachelor student in seminary. Or right. Not. But only if they drive it home. Well, let me finish. Yeah. So, what what could be done is someone someone is bringing up ideas that you're already familiar with but then connects them with biblical concepts that you weren't connecting before. So, that's a great example of that what we saw Sunday in church yeah. is for me, I guess not for you, because you know everything about everything, except whether Methodists and Wesleyans are different. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, but the, but we're taking something that I knew already. Okay, I know that the Passover images Christ, and that yeah. there's uh, a tupas there of Christ, and all that sort of thing. But some of the specifics of that is connecting in ways that it's like, oh shoot, 
that is pretty good yeah. and pretty obvious, you know. Um, but 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 this is all going back to it's got to be helpful. It's got to actually be. It's it's deep. It's experienced. It it like you said impacts your life going out. Let's think of a movie that's that way. I remember when I first saw Castaway with yeah. Tom Hanks. I knew this is going to sound weird, but walking out of the theater, I knew. I am going to think about certain things completely differently for the rest of my life because I saw that movie. Like a buffet table. <laughs> what? Well, when he was when he had got came back and they had the reception for him, the way he oh, yeah, looked yeah. at the table. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, and and seeing it through from his experience, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, if you, all you did was spear fish for uh, all right. Those. You've got that sort of thing. Yeah. What is what? How you see the world now that you've been on this island for four years or whatever it was. Um, uh, thoughts about the the extent of suffering, you know, when he's considering committing suicide and and yeah. and all that, and and what do you do here? How should I view these things? Love and marriage. How should I feel about coming back? And sorry, spoiler alert. I come back, and and now that Helen Hunt has now married somebody else, how should I feel if I'm married to Helen Hunt and she's married somebody else? Actually. I'm fine with it if Helen Hunt marries somebody else. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, how do you feel about coming back and your wife do, is now married someone else? Do you need a spoiler else? alert for a movie that's been out that long? Well, yeah, you're right. But the that's thing like is, Robert Geiler when he said, spoiler alert, Hector dies. Right, from right, the, right. <laughs> but, that, but that's the... But that's, that's the, but that's the but, but I came out of that film knowing I will not see certain aspects of reality the yeah. same way I used to. And if you think that's... The, oh, come on. It was a dumb movie. No... That was a powerful narrative. Yeah. And and movies can be that. And literature can be that. And sermons can be that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the thing is, I'll give you an example of one. Um, I know that we have a lot of people that listen who believe in conditional immortality. Right. Yeah. Annihilationism. That when you die, you go to hell and stuff happens and then you die. <laughs> I say stuff <laughs> happens because that's a point of disagreement among right. people that affirm conditional immortality. However, it's I, an open question. I remember when I first heard the, the explanation from a traditionalist on that view, uh, the traditionalist view of hell, about why it's just. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know whether all conditionalists would think this. But even if you're a conditionalist, perhaps you could say, even if intuitively it doesn't feel like the character of God, perhaps you could say God would be just in that kind of traditionalist view of hell. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but, you, you can see the logic of it. If, so here's if, the logic if, if of it. explained well. So here's the logic of it. Is the cat? The cat thing, yeah. yeah. So, so imagine that I'm watching television and I, a cat is whining at my window and... Um, Every night, and finally, let's imagine that I strangle the cat because it's annoyed me so much. Um, and, and I would never do that, but let's just say I did. And he then, would do that. And then, and then uh, uh, I know there's a punishment for that if someone finds out, if, and especially if it's someone else's cat. I don't know what the punishment is, but maybe I have to pay a fine. Maybe I have to spend the night in jail. I don't know. Uh, but then, the, but let's imagine then that I that my neighbor keeps buying more and more cats, and ever so often I have to kill these cats, and ultimately I go and strangle my neighbor so he stops buying these cats. Okay, now there is a greater penalty. There was a penalty for, if you like, sinning against a cat that was minuscule compared to my own life. Now I've sinned against my neighbor by killing him. There's a penalty for that equal to my life. I may be in prison for the rest of my life. I may receive capital punishment. I don't know. Um, so you can see that there's a stair step of justice, right. and it's intuitive. Everyone hearing me talk right now knows that I shouldn't necessarily die for killing a cat, but should I die for killing a man? Maybe, you know? <laughs> okay, so then what is the penalty for sinning against an everlasting God? The penalty is everlasting. Right. Okay, now, but there is a solution for that, which is that uh, God could come as an everlasting person and die for the sin, the everlasting sin that you committed um, so that you don't have to go to hell everlastingly. Now, whether or not you believe in the traditional view of hell for other reasons that involve what hell is like um, or the biblical data, which I get it. We did two episodes on that. You can go back and listen to them from, from this year, earlier this year. But the point is that when I heard that, uh, because I think every Christian thinks that believes in the traditional view of hell thinks, that just, I mean, come on, man. 
the punishment doesn't seem to fit the crime. You know, some little old lady, yeah. you know, does she lives a pretty good life, but she's never gets saved. And then she's going to go to the same hell as Adolf Hitler or whatever, you know? Okay, well, the fact is, if you sinned against an everlasting yeah, God's God... God's not a cat. It all makes <laughs> sense, yeah. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that it makes sense emotionally, yeah. but intellectually, I think you can make sense of that. Right. Now, I know that for some of you all that doesn't work, but that is a good example of something that I heard in a sermon. Yeah. That when I heard it, I walked out of there like with Castaway, I'll never see the world quite the same way ever again. I wrote a sermon on heaven that I preached uh, at Van Avenue Baptist Church here in town several years ago. And then I preached that sermon on heaven across America now. And uh, it's my favorite sermon that I preach. And you know what? The first time I ever preached it, my wife was there and she heard me preach it. And she said, that is without question your best, the best thing you've ever said. She said that was your where the streets have no name. You know? <laughs> that was that was the greatest yeah. thing ever. And and the, and the reason was because she was expressing that like Castaway. Yeah. You walked out of that sermon having learned something. I'm not here bragging on myself. The point so is, this was a few you, years ago. This would have been maybe eight years ago. Yeah. So but he she, peaked eight years ago. Is what he said. Probably in terms of my preaching. <laughs> right. But I walked out of there. I had given them stuff they'd never heard before. Because I did talk about evidential stuff related to heaven. Yeah. So I gave him stuff they never heard before. Um, it was emotionally powerful. Uh, and, and, and my wife was saying, I walked out of there. I will never think about reality in heaven ever the same way again. That is deep preaching. Yeah. And I don't do it hardly enough. And I'm not saying I'm a great preacher. I have some sermons on our YouTube channel you can find out for yourself. But that is, that, that's, that's deep in the way that's helpful. And not all your sermons do that to people. No, no. But the benefit I have, and this is, again, didn't you just say you recently read Benjamin the autobiography of Benjamin yes. Franklin? Okay, so you, you'll recall that one of the things he said about George Whitfield yeah. that I thought was so on the nose was he said evangelists like Whitfield yeah. have a, a benefit that pastors cannot have because yeah because of the they nature. get to they get to speak this, the the same sermons at different places and <laughs> they, they figure out improve, yeah and they constantly improve and get to work on it and rehearse it and yeah and and, and yeah where uh, a pastor has to move on from a sermon yeah. Whitfield is able to preach the same sermon everywhere he goes and he and figures out what yeah. hits what doesn't hit what make, gets a laugh right. what makes a cry you know all those kind of things and what is helpful because people tell him. And he's like, so there's no comparing an evangelist to a pastor in that respect. And I think that that is true. So are most of my sermons in some way successful and hit the mark? Not the first time I preach them. <laughs> but eventually they get there. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to sum up, I just want to say, to me, a deep sermon is not how much head stuff you can stuff in there. Yeah. You know? A deep sermon is what hits home with the people who came to hear you preach. Yeah. And so I, I think that some of the... I, I have never been to, to every church in America, so I have no idea how anyone can claim, oh, you know, the preaching... Now, I know that there's, there's a state of theology where a bunch of evangelicals and a bunch of non-Christians, a bunch of Americans in general, were, were tested on their theology as if the pulpit could be, you know, the, the sole blame for that anyway. I mean, you know, churches should have a whole discipleship. Mm -hmm. But anyway, everyone's like, oh, it's bad or whatever. Okay, fine. But I don't see where, I don't see how anyone can claim every, most preaching in America is shallow just because of secularism or whatever else. I, 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 it could be. I don't know. I have no way of knowing. But here's what I do know. I do know that people who have fancied certain individuals as being the model or not the model, that I think work at all for most people. In fact, a lot of these heralded, much heralded speakers and great expositors are actually terrible at what they do. Um, and nobody should do that. And people who try to do what they do fail at it. So, so... Look, here's the definition. We're not picking on... No, we, anyway. can, no we, we fixed it in the first 10 minutes. We came yeah. up with a definition right. for deep preaching. Uh, deep preaching in a way that's helpful, the good kind of deep preaching yeah. that you should be after, is preaching that you suspect is, uh, whatever the concepts are, the substantial number of the people in the congregation are not familiar with it, and it's helpful. Yes, <laughs> and it, it, it's Biblical helpful. Biblical and theological, yeah. and it's helpful. Yeah, just being head deep is not deep. 
Um, I don't know the state of churches, like I said. I don't know how shallow the preaching is. I imagine it's probably not quite as shallow, because it, it, I never end up at those churches where it's just milk toast. I always find pretty decent preachers at, yeah. at all of these. Of course, I run in Baptist circles, whether Southern Baptist, General Baptist, whatever, or non-denominational yeah, What you're saying is Baptist. Southern Baptist preachers yeah. are better than everybody else. That's what I hear you saying. Could be. I'm just kidding. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of my favorite preachers are Southern Baptists. Paul Cooper's a Southern Baptist. Sam Schmidt's a Southern Baptist. Austin Long's a Southern Baptist. All the Juan Jung Lee is a Southern we're Baptist. We're changing minds here, people. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Bridges cha- turning it around. <laughs> Last week, or actually in the in the bonus episode of Trinity Radio that some of you missed from last week, um, I straightened Jonathan out on eternal security. No, he did not. And now he's getting straightened out on Southern Baptist theology. Not even close. I, I mean, I, I believe, presented him with some facts I in that episode, that the and he was like, "I believe I, that you can have a a grace you can fall from and no. a faith that you can shift from." Unlike Braxton. Now listen, Hunter. but anyway, no, no, no. Hold on, Southern I, Baptist. No, no, no. Last week, I, I presented him with no, some facts. No, they have to. No, they can. You can watch. Last he's trying week to shut me down. He's trying to shut me down. No, He's trying to shut me down. Braxton no, believes that you can no, be cut off from a no. vine you were never abiding in in the first place. Doesn't mean that he won some sort of debate that you have to pay to see. I'm not saying I'm here. not saying I want to debate. I'm just saying you I've, said you convinced me. <laughs> you see how you've got to Sean Hannity what I'm saying here and not let me talk. I presented him with some data, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't know what to say in response to this. Um, I, I can't that say happen? that you, I can't say that you're right." But I'm 99% sure that eternal Actually, security is true now. No, that's, that's, that's exactly that's, what happened. never happened. Prove me wrong. Actually, you prove him wrong by clicking up here and becoming a patron to watch that episode. And if you would like to learn how to preach well, uh, Braxton Hunter preaches well. Thank you. Um, he learned from his dad. And he learned from Dr. Albert Elliott, both of whom are connected here with Trinity. But it really springs forth from my confidence in the eternal security of the believer. But um, check out our program at Trinity and it learn, really stems learn from, from the very professors. Everything you learned from me since 2014. L- learn. You'll notice that his preaching has drastically improved <laughs> since I came to Trinity, and you'll hear it's him. Actually, so you want to learn from the same preachers I've learned from. Come to Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary while those professors are still living. <laughs> and and, and, oh, come and on. that doesn't need commentary. And so so just uh, so visit us at Your Trinity mom S- watches this. TrinitySEM.edu. Be sure and check out our sister podcast in the Trinity Commission, The Bible Bro Down with Matt and Billy, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, and The Narrow Path with Steve Gregg. This has been Trinity Radio, and despite Braxton Hunter's attempt to train wreck it at the end, I think this was a good show, and thank you for giving us your time. God bless. If you would like more content, click here, and keep watching Bible Studies, click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers, so click here.